Yes, hello, hello. Today is February the 2nd. I think it's my uncle's birthday. It's my uncle and my ex-boyfriend. One is on the 2nd, one is on the 4th. anti-scratching device. I'm like my grandma and my mom. If I have any little scab, I just want to take it off. I can't stop myself. When you have psoriasis, all you have is scabs, so it doesn't really help much. It's really difficult not to. When you get really itchy and now I want to scratch everywhere because I'm talking about it. I have big brother behind me, can you tell? It's hilarious though, anyhow. This is the camera and the background, and how the background comes. Like, that's funny, considering what book I'm reading. Hey, Big Brother is here behind me. Always watching over. I'm not that important, he knows that, but for some reason, he always likes to watch me, huh? <laughs> mm. Yeah, two. So we are in part two now of 1984. It was the middle of the morning and Winston had left his cubicle to go to the lavatory. A solitary figure was coming toward him from the other end of the long, brightly lit corridor. It was the girl with dark hair. Four days had gone past since the evening when he had run into her outside the junk shop. As she came nearer, <clears throat> sorry, he saw that her right arm was in a sling, not noticeable a distance, not notable, noticeable, sorry, at a distance because it was of the same color as her overalls. Probably, she had crushed her hand while swinging round one of the big kaleidoscopes on which the plots of novel were roughed in. It was a common accident in the fiction department. <laughs> How lovely. <laughs> Why wouldn't they try and fix it? <sighs> I'm sorry. That's Big Brother, right? Why fix stuff and make their life easier? 
They were perhaps four meters apart when the girls stumbled and fell almost flat on her face. A sharp cry of pain was wrung out of her. She must have fallen right on the injured arm. Winston stopped short. The girl had risen to her knees. Her face had turned a milky yellow color, against which her mouth stood out redder than ever. Her eyes were fixed on his with an appealing expression that looked more like fear than pain. A curious emotion stirred in Winston's heart. In front of him was an enemy who was trying to kill him. In front of him also was a human creature, in pain and perhaps with a broken bone. Always he had instinctively started forward. Already he had instinctively started forward to help her. In the movement, when he had seen her fall on the, ba on the bandaged arm, it had been as though he felt the pain in his own body. I'm sorry. It's because I don't feel well yet all the way, so... <clears throat> I, I fuck up more than usual, so today I'll make you feel even better than, you, than before. I'm even a bigger pathetic loser. Come on. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm an even bigger non-extraordinary non-winner. <laughs> Does the number negative, though, make it positive? Hold on a minute. That works too, though. As long as it, it seems negative, but it's positive, it's all good. Yes, we're crazy here. Uh, we have passed the need, you know, to feel like normies in here <laughs> a long time ago. Everybody can be what they are. We're just pretty harmless. Just don't mess with us. <laughs> it's funny. <clears throat> and I don't know, maybe I didn't drink enough, because when I have, I don't feel well, I just, I sip very little. This is the water bottle. So many times I open them and then they splash everywhere because I forget that they must shake them or something when they transport them. I just like to sip a little bit. I've never been one of those people who like to chug things down. Actually, it never feels good. If I do that, I puke. Very gross. <sighs> Water. There you go. So I make you go and get something to drink, see? And if you're not, imagine you're having something nice. Come on. We don't just read books, we also make it ASMR style. That the whole point is to take some time to chill out. Okay? And... In fact, I was thinking to myself, you know, I can imagine, every one of you should have a little ASMR system. 
And you can do ASMR to yourself. It's very soothing, guys. Honestly, it's the thing that has helped so much, even with the migraines. And if you come from families that yell, you know, if you had someone yelling a lot to you when you were a kid, and you picked up the same problem, it really helps with it as well. It's unbelievable. You know, just learning to speak in a very relaxed and quiet. The dogs love it. Dogs are like children. When you are agitated, they get so agitated. You know, and they're so sensitive. So I really, really enjoy it. And trust me, like, I can turn into Carrie. So when I, when I would yell if people were trying to you know, overpower you, because it's usually these big men, you know, they're not that big, though, compared to you. The big, big guys actually are more relaxed, usually, as people. It's the more average or short dudes that have that chip on their shoulder, or those who don't feel they're, you know, manly enough, they, they have some chip on their shoulder. And those ones always try and overpower women like me, because... We're not really submissive, and it's just who we are, you know, like, go fuck yourself. Who said women have to be submissive? And we just, you know, we just, we look at people as pars, you know, like, I don't care who you are. You're a par, in my opinion. Like, the moment you are born, animal, plant, whatever, you're a par. I will do whatever I can in my ignorance sometimes to do the best I can to interact with you, right? Like with plants, animals, sometimes we don't know anymore how to live in nature like we used to. They're well stupider than they used to be before, you know. All this dumbing down of species. And so I do my best and I think to myself, you know, if everybody understood this simple thing that respect is given means that you respect anyone because they are. When you behave respectfully, you are not going to harm someone else. You are not going to do things that you wouldn't do to yourself and your loved ones, period. And that's it, that's all there is to, that's all everybody needs to be and know. There wouldn't be all the other shit, because everything else is included in this thing. But a lot of people like to make things complicated because it's a way for them to make a lot of money out of it. And it's shown in everything, because when you have complicated systems, then you have clearly experts who will charge a lot of money because not everybody can do this and this is where we are instead every system needs to be simple enough that everybody can operate it and this is how we create a way for everybody to rise up those who want to keep the pyramid scheme are those who are behind all of these things and it's not done for your own well-being. Just be aware of that. Tyranny, censorship comes before tyranny, and tyranny is never done for the highest good of you and everyone else. It's always done for the few, and it's not really for their highest good, but they're too dumb to see it. And too dumb in the sense that, you know, they literally are ignorant, they don't see beyond their nose, right? Like, if I don't see it and I don't perceive it, with my limited five senses, then it, it's not there. They know it's a fun, bunch of bullshit, but they convinced all the humans of that so that they stay in their, you know, smallest part of themselves and they feel they don't have any power. 
and that's why a lot of people, you know, behave in the way they do. Anyway, so Winston um, is looking at this woman who we don't like very much because she seems like a bee hutch, right? So, it's that in the moment when he had seen her fall on the bandaged arm, it had been as though he felt the pain in his own body. <clears throat> oh, just like an empath. You're hurt, he said. It's nothing, my arm. It'll be alright in a second. She spoke as though her heart were fluttering. She had certainly turned very pale. You haven't broken anything? No, I'm alright. It hurt for a moment, that's all. She held out her free hand to, to him, and he helped her up. She had regained some of her color and appeared much better. It's nothing, she repeated shortly. I only gave my wrist a bit of a bang. Thanks, comrade. And with that, she walked on in the direction in which she had been going, as brisk, briskly as though he had really been nothing. The whole incident could not have taken as much as half a minute. Not to let one's feelings appear in one's face was a habit that had acquired the status of an instinct, and in any case, they had been standing straight in front of a telescreen when the thing happened. Nevertheless, it had been very difficult not to betray a momentary surprise, for in the two or three seconds while he was helping her up, the girl had slipped something into his hand. There was no question that she had done it intentionally. It was something small and flat, and he passed through the lavatory door. He transferred it to his pocket and felt it with the tips of his fingers. It was a scrap of paper folded into a square. While he stood at the urinal, he managed, with a little more fingering, to get it unfolded. Obviously, there must be a message of some kind written on it. For a moment, he was tempted to take it into one of the water closets and read it at once, but that would be shocking folly, as he well knew. There was no place where you could be more certain that the telescreen were watched continuously. He went back to, the, to his cubicle, sat down, threw the fragment of paper casually among the other papers on the desk, put on his spectacles, and hitched the speak right toward him. Five minutes, he told himself, five minutes at the very least. His heart bumped in his breast with frightening loudness. Fortunately, the piece of work he had engaged on was mere routine. The, I'm sorry, the, the rectification of a long list of figures, not needing close attention. Whatever was written on the paper, it must have some kind of political meaning. So far as he could see, there were two possibilities. One, much the more likely, was that the girl was an agent of the Thought Police, just as he had feared. He did not know why the Thought Police should choose to deliver their messages in such a fashion, but perhaps they had their reasons. The thing that was written on the paper might be a threat, a summons, in order to commit suicide, a trap of some description. 
But there was another, wilder possibility that kept raising its head, though he tried vainly to suppress it. This was that the message did not come from the thought police at all, but from some kind of underground organization. Perhaps the Brotherhood existed after all. Perhaps the girl was part of it. No doubt the idea was absurd, but it has sprung into his mind in the very instant of the feeling the scrap of paper in his hand. It was not till a couple of minutes later that the other, more probable explanation had occurred to him, and even now, though his intellect told him that the message probably meant death, still that was not what he believed, and the unreasonable hope persisted, and his heart banged, and it was with difficulty that he kept his voice from trembling as he murmured, murmured sorry, his figures into the speakwrite. He rolled up the completed bundle of work and slid it into the pneumatic tube. Eight minutes had gone by. He readjusted his spectacles on his nose, sighed, and drew the next batch of work toward him, with a scrap of paper on top of it. He flattened it out. On it was written in a large, unformed handwriting, I love you. <laughs> didn't expect that we should go dun, 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 dun. I love you I love you baby <laughs> yeah oh yeah by the way when I'm sick and then I start getting better I get silly even more than like my my mental you know my mental issues come out even more you know my craziness that's right you know it's not my fault when I have brain damage hey you shouldn't make fun of people who have brain damage that's why I always tell people. I love making them feel like the piece of shit they are when they make fun of people with brain damage, you know. It's like, you piece of crap. You know how it feels when you have a migraine? The left is right, the right is left. You're effectively an idiot when you have a migraine. Like, you can't function. You're, you're fucked. And it depends how bad it is, right? That's why I'm so <laughs> interested in not... You know, if I could have a perfect diet today, I would. It's not that I don't want to. I just know I can't yet because when I go into that f f thing, if I don't have anything, I go nuts. Like there is a level of triggering. I don't want to go there. So I always have something to pacify myself. It just, The thing is, it gets less and less and less. So that's all that matters, you know. People don't understand, I don't think, until they go through it. So anyway, it's interesting because every, every time, like, I was thinking she was part of, you know, the, she could have been a really high agent or she was part of the resistance. And uh, still, bitchy, we don't like you. What if she's a double agent? Now, that would be a good twist. All right, I'm, I'm not gonna... I love you. I love you, big brother. I should try and give him a kiss. <laughs> Gone. Maybe you die now. It's like the kiss of death. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> okay, then. I mean, you gotta give points to those chicks to go with this old, old fucking guy. Because, like, take some kind of a stomach, you know. Really? Yeah.
Like my mother had to say about my boyfriends. <laughs> has she seen what some famous people chose? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but they had money. Yeah, but crap, man. <laughs> Don't touch me. Dun -dun -dun -dun. I love you. That's what he said. For several seconds, he was too stunned even to throw the incriminating thing into the memory hole. When he did so, although he knew very well the danger of showing too much interest, he could not resist reading it once again, just to make sure that the words were really there. For the rest of the morning, it was very difficult to work. What was even worse than having to focus his mind on a series of niggling jobs was the need to conceal his agitation from the telescreen. He felt as though a fire were burning in his belly. Lunch in the hot, crowded, noise-filled canteen was torment. He had hoped to be alone for a little while during the lunch hour, but as bad luck could have it, the imbecile Parsons flopped down beside him, the tang of his sweat almost defeating the teeny smell of stew, and kept up a stream of talk about the preparations for hate week. He was particularly enthusiastic about a papier-mâché model of Big Brother's head, two meters wide, which was being made for the occasion by the daughter's troop of spies. The irritating thing was that in the racket of voices, Winston could hardly hear what Parsons was saying, and was constantly having to ask for some fatuous remark to be repeated. Just once he caught a glimpse of the girl at a table with the two other girls at the far end of the room. She appeared not to have seen him, and he did not look in that direction again. The afternoon was more bearable. Immediately after lunch, there arrived a delicate, difficult piece of work which would take several hours and necessitated putting everything else aside. It consisted in falsifying a series of production reports of two years ago in such a way as to cast a discredit on a prominent member of the inner party who was now under a cloud. This was the kind of thing that Winston was good at, and for more than two hours he succeeded in shutting the girl out of his mind altogether. Then the memory of her face came back, and with it raging intolerable desire to be alone. Until he could be alone, it was impossible to think this new development out. Tonight was one of his nights at the community center. He wolfed another tasteless meal in the canteen, hurried off to the center, took part in the solemn foolery of a discussion group, played two games of table tennis, swallowed several glasses of gin, and sat for half an hour through a lecture entitled Ingsug in relation to chess. His soul reeled. Oh my God. Reezed. Reezed. I'm sorry. Reezed. Make continual twisting, squirming movements of contortion of or contortions of the body. Contortion. It's like, you know. So let me do it again. Reezed. Yeah, some words, just, I'll always have problems, right? No, no. I used to have problems with this word. I'm gonna start doing that now for everything. Let's see how fast we can change this way. I used to have word with pronouncing certain words. Now it's gone. Reezed. He's so reezed, reezed, 
<laughs> with boredom. So it was full with boredom. But for once, he had had no impulse. He had had, see, no impulse to shirk his evening at the center. At the sight of the words, I love you, the desire to stay alive had welled up in him, and the taking of minor risks suddenly seemed stupid. It was not till 23 hours when he was home and in bed in the darkness, where you were safe even from the telescreen so long as you kept silent, that he was able to think continuously. It was a physical problem that had to be solved. How to get in touch with a girl and arrange a meeting. He did not consider any longer the possibility that she might be laying some kind of trap for him. He knew that it was not because of her unmistakable agitation when she handed him the note. Obviously, she had been frightened out of her wits as well she might be, nor did the idea of refusing her advances even cross his mind. <laughs> Only five nights ago, he had contemplated smashing her skull in <laughs> with a cobblestone. Ah, but that was no importance. Yep, yeah, this is males for you. And then they say, we are bad. <laughs> I had to throw in the joke, come on. He thought of her naked, youthful body as he had seen in it his dream. He had imagined her a fool like all the rest of them. Her head stuffed with lies and hatred, her belly full of eyes. A kind of fever seized him and he thought that he might lose her. The white, youthful body might slip away from him. What he feared more than anything else was that she would simply change her mind if he did not get in touch with her quickly. But the physical difficulty of meeting was enormous. It was like trying to make a move a chest when you were already mated. Whichever way you turned, the telescreen faced you. Actually, all the possible ways of communicating with her had occurred to him within five minutes of reading the note. But now, with time to think, he went over them one by one, as though laying out a row of instruments on a table. Obviously, the kind of encounter that had happened this morning could not be repeated. If she had worked in the records department, it might have been compar comparatively simple. But uh, he had only, but, 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 but he had only a very dim idea whereabouts in the building the fiction department lay, and he had no pretext for going there. If he had known where she lived, and at what time she left work, he could have contrived to meet her somewhere on her way home, but to try to follow her home was not safe, because it would mean loitering about outside the ministry, which was bound to be noticed. As for sending a letter through the mails, it was out of the question. By a routine that was not even secret, all letters were opened in transit. Actually, few people ever wrote letters, for the messages that it was occasionally necessary to send, there were printed postcards with long lists of phrases and you struck out the ones that were applicable. Oh my god, it sounds so wonderful, guys. Who wouldn't want to do that? In any case, he did not know the girl's name, let alone her address. Finally, he decided that the safest place was the canteen. If he could get her at a table by herself, somewhere in the middle of the room, not too near the telescreens, and with a sufficient buzz of conversation all round. If those conditions endured for, say, 30 seconds, it might be possible to exchange a few words. <laughs> 
For a week after this, life was like a restless dream. So he wasn't dead yet, see. On the next day, she did not appear in the canteen until he was leaving it. The whistle having already blown. Presumably, she had been changed onto a later shift. They passed each other without a glance. On the day after that, she was in the canteen at the usual time, but with three other girls, and immediately under a telescreen. Then, for three doubtful days, she did not appear at all. His own mind and body seemed to be afflicted with an unbearable sensitivity, a sort of transparency which made every movement, every sound, every contact, every word that he had to speak or listen to an agony. Even in sleep, he could not altogether escape from her image. He did not touch the diary during those days. If there was any relief, it was in his work, in which he could sometimes forget himself for ten minutes at a, at a stretch. <laughs> I was gonna say at a time. <laughs> yeah. He had absolutely no clue as to what had, had happened to her. There was no inquiry he could make. She might have been vaporized. She might have committed suicide. She might have been transferred to the other end of Oceania. Worst and likeliest of all, she might simply have changed her mind and decided to avoid him. The next day she reappeared. Her arm was out of the sling and she had a band of sticking plaster around the wrist. The relief of seeing her was so great that he could not resist staring directly at her for several seconds. On the following day he very nearly succeeded in speaking to her. When he came into the canteen she was sitting at the table well out from the wall and was quite alone. It was early and the place was not very full. The queue edged forward till Winston was almost at the counter, then was held up for two minutes because someone in front was complaining that he had not received his tablet, his tablet of saccharin. But the girl was still alone when Winston secured the tray and began to make for her table. He walked casually toward her, his eyes searching for a place at some table beyond her. She was perhaps three meters away from him. Another two seconds would do it. Then a voice behind him called, Smith. He pretended not to hear. Smith, repeated the voice more loudly. It was no use. He turned round. A blonde-headed, silly-faced young man named Wilshire, whom he barely knew, was inviting him with a smile to a vacant place at his table. It was not safe to refuse. After having been recognized, he could not go and sit at the table with an unattended girl. It was not, it was too noticeable. Oh yeah, how dare you, I should play that right now. How dare you! <laughs> oh yeah, see? <laughs> Great minds, think alike. He sat down with a friendly smile. The silly blonde face beamed into his. Winston had a hallucination of himself. Smashing a pickaxe right into the middle of it. Okay. Pickaxe. Another term for pick, just so you know. Break or strike with a pickaxe. Like, seriously, he likes his fancy words. It works for me because I, I get to learn new shit. I like that. I mean, pickaxe is pretty easy. Like, you can make out... Most of the words you can sort of make out the meaning of without really researching. I just research because I always try to look for something that will help me remember them. <laughs> That's why I do that. 
also I'm curious, I always like to see where they come from and stuff like that. Anyway, the girl's table filled up a few minutes later, but she must have seen him coming toward her and perhaps she would take the hint. Next day he took care to arrive early, of course. Sure enough, she was at a table in about the same place and again alone. The person immediately ahead of him in the queue was a small, swiftly moving, beetle-like man with a flat face and tiny, suspicious eyes. As Winston turned away from the counter with his tray, he saw that the little man was making straight for the girl's table. His hopes sank again. There was a vacant place at the table further away, but something in the little man's appearance suggested that he would be sufficiently attentive to his own comfort to choose the emptiest table, well, of course. With eyes at his heart, Winston followed. It was no use unless he could get the girl alone. At this moment, there was a tremendous crash. The little man was sprawling all for all fours. His tray had gone flying. <laughs> Two strains of soup and coffee were flowing across the floor. He started to his feet with a malignant glance at Winston, at Winston, whom he evidently suspected of having tripped him, <laughs> tripped him up. Oh, Winston! But it was all right. Five seconds later, with a thundering heart, Winston was sitting at the girl's table. He did not look at her. He unpacked his tray and promptly began eating. It was all important to speak at once, before anyone else came, but now a terrible fear had taken possession of him, had taken possession of him. A week had gone by since he had first approached. She would have changed her mind. She must have changed her mind. It was impossible that this affair should end successfully. Such things did not happen in real life. He might have flinched altogether from speaking if at this moment he had not seen Ampleforth, the hairy-eared poet, wandering limply round the room with a tray looking for a place to sit down. In his vague way, Ampleforth was attached to Winston and would certainly sit down at his table if he caught sight of him. There was perhaps a minute in which to act. Both Winston and the girl were eating steadily. The stuff they were eating was a thin stew, actually a soup of haricot beans. In a low murmur, Winston began speaking. Neither of them looked up. Steadily, they spooned the watery stuff into their mouths and between spoonfuls exchanged a few necessary words in low expressionless voices. What time do you live work? 18.30. Where can we meet? Victory Square, near the monument. It's full of telescreens. It doesn't matter if there's a crowd. Any signal? No. Don't come up to me until you see me among a lot of people. And don't look at me. Just keep somewhere near me. What time? 19 hours. All right. Ampleforth failed to see Winston and sat down at another table. The girl finished her lunch quickly and made off while Winston stayed to smoke a cigarette. They did not speak again, and so far as it was possible for two people sitting on opposite sides of the same table, they did not look at one another. Winston was in Victory Square before the appointed time. He wandered around the base of the enormous fluted column, at the top of which Big Brother's statue gazed southward toward the skies where he had vanquished the Eurasian airplanes, the East Asian airplanes it had been a few years ago in the bottle of the airstrip one. 
In the street in front of it, there was a statue of a man on horseback, which was supposed to represent Oliver Cromwell. <sighs> At five minutes past one hour, the girl had still not appeared. Again, the terrible fear seized upon Winston. She had not coming. She, uh, she had not come. Wow, that was awesome. I, I actually saw was and I said Ed. <laughs> that's um, that's what we do. She was not coming. She had changed her mind. He walked slowly up to the north side of the square and got a sort of pale-colored pleasure from identifying Sir Martin's church, whose bells, when it had bells, had chimed, you owe me <laughs> three farthings. <laughs> farthings, farthings. We should, we should make a song, come on. So we don't forget what farthings are. Then he saw the girl standing at the base of the monument, reading or pretending to read a poster which ran spirally up the column. It was not safe to go near until some more people had accumulated. There were telescreens all around the pediment, but at this moment there was a din of shouting and the zoom of heavy vehicles somewhere to the left. Suddenly everyone seemed to be running across the square. The girl nipped nimbly around the lions at the base of the monument and joined in the rush. Winston followed. As he ran, he gathered from some shouted remarks that a convoy of Eurasian prisoners was passing. Already a dense mass of people was blocking the south side of the square. Winston, at normal times, the kind of person who gravitates to the outer edge of any kind of scrimmage, shoved, butted, squirmed his way forward into the heart of the crowd. Soon he was within arm's length of the girl, but the way was blocked by an enormous pearl and an almost equally enormous woman, presumably his wife, who seemed to form an impenetrable wall of flesh. <laughs> Winston wriggled himself sideways and, with a violent lunge, managed to drive his shoulder between them. For a moment it felt as though his entrails were being <laughs> ground to pulp between the two muscular hips. Then he had broken through, sweating a little. He, had next, he was next to the girl. They were shoulder to shoulder, both staring fixed in front of them. A long line of trucks with wooden, faded, with wooden face guards armed with some machine guns, geez, standing upright in each corner, was passing slowly down in the street. In the trucks, little a yellow man... I mean, fuck. In, sorry. In the trucks, little yellow men in shabby greenish uniforms were squatting, jammed close together. Their sad Mongolian faces gazed out of their sides of the trucks, utterly incurious. Occasionally, when a truck jolted, there was a clank, clank of metal. Oh, like this. <laughs> Just louder, probably. All the prisoners were wearing leg irons. Mm, sounds so comfortable. Truckload after truckload of the sad faces passed. Winston knew they were there, but he saw them only intermittently. The girl's shoulder and her arm right down to the elbow were pressed against his. Her cheek was almost near enough for him to feel its warmth. She had immediately taken charge of the situation, just as she had done in the canteen. She began speaking in the same expressionless voice as before, with lips barely moving, a mere murmur easily drowned by the din of voices and the rumbling of the trucks. Can you hear me? Yes. 
Can you get Sunday afternoon off? Yes. Then listen carefully. You'll have to remember this. Go to Paddington Station. With a sort of military precision that's astonished him, she outlined the route, the route, I want to say, that he was to follow. A half-hour railway journey. Oh, nice. Turn left outside the station, two kilometers along the road, a gate with the top bar missing, a pass across a field, a grass, ground lane, <laughs> a grass grown lane, not ground, <laughs> unless you're from certain parts of the country, I guess. A track between bushes and a tree with moss on it. Yeah, occasionally I also like to make up accents and shit and mix them up. Yes, when I don't feel well, it's quite a funny trip. <laughs> so just go with it, you know? Hey, Beats been puking all day. <laughs> it was as though she had a map inside her head. Oh, so lucky she reminds me of my ex-boyfriend Lance. <laughs> He could literally drive you. It was all in there. I was always astonished by that. <laughs> Can you remember all that? She murmured finally. Yes. You turn left and right and left again. And the gate's got no top bar. Yes. What time? About 15. You may have to wait. I'll get there by another way. Are you sure you remember everything? Yes. Then get away from me as quick as you can. She need not have told him that, but for the moment they could not extricate themselves from the crowd. The truck were still feeling past the people, still ins insatiably gaping. At the start there had been a few boos and hisses, but it came only from the party members among the crowd, and that soon stopped. The prevailing emotion was simply curiosity. Foreigners, whether from Eurasia or East Asia, were a kind of strange animal. One literally never saw them except in the guise of prisoners, and even as prisoners, one never get more than a momentary glimpse of them, nor did one know what became of them apart from the few who were hanged as far criminals, as war criminals, as far criminals, yeah. The others simply vanished, presumably into forced labor camps. The round Mongol faces had given way to faces of a more European type, dirty, bearded and exhausted. From over scrubby cheekbones, eyes looked into Winston, sometimes with strange intensity, and flashed away again. The convoy was draw was drawing to, uh, to an end. Fuck. Yeah, I did say fuck again. Yes, I did. These are all side effects. Listen, I grew up with uh, people who were swearing all the time, okay? Two males. Precisely, and when females did that, they were bad. So me, of course, being a rebel, I was like, screw you, I'm gonna fucking talk like you, and if you don't want me to, then stop doing it. <laughs> they didn't like that. <laughs> so sometimes when I'm not feeling comfortable, I can say it too many times. And, uh, pardon me, I don't mean to. It's a coping mechanism. Here, we'll tap on that. <laughs> Ugh. Hey, but at least I'm not feeling as bad as I would in other cases, so I'm happy. I don't think it's snowing out there, though. Bah, bah. <laughs> How are you, big brother? The round mogul faces had given way to faces of a more European type, dirty bearded and exhausted. 
from over scrubby cheekbones, eyes looked into Winston's, sometimes with strange intensity, and flashed away again. The convoy was drawing to an end. In the last truck, he could see an aged man, his face a mass of grizzled air, standing upright with wrists crossed in front of him, as though he were used to having them bound together. It was almost time for Winston and the girl to part. To part. But at the last moment, while the crowd still hemmed them in, her hand fell for his, and gave it a fleeting squeeze. It could not have been ten seconds, and yet it seemed a long time that their hands were clasped together. Clasped together. He had time to learn every detail of her hand. He explored the long fingers, the shapely nails, the work-hardened palm, with its row of calluses, the smooth flesh under the wrist. Merely from feeling from feeling it, he could have known it by sight. <laughs> Gosh. In the same instant it occurred to him that he did not know what color the girl's eyes were. They were probably brown, but people with dark hair sometimes have blue eyes. To turn his hair and look at her would have been inconceivably inconceivable folly. I finally got it, right? With hands locked together, invisible among the press of bodies, they stare steadily in front of them, and instead of the eyes of the girl, the eyes of the aged prisoners gaze mournfully at Winston out of nests of hair. Just wonderful, wonderful, you know? Just as they are feeling so, you know, whatever, if she is into him for real. But, um, he definitely wants her. I want you, baby. I want you, baby. My evening, Winston. Will you give it to me? I want you, baby. You know, he might as well. He should wrap it, maybe. You know. I don't know. With his, uh, with his physical issues and all, you know? Hmm. So anyway, so that's the end of the first part in part two. So I'm gonna stop the video and then we're gonna do the next one. I'm gonna take a little break because I feel tired. It's, um, part of the thing. But I'm, I'm hoping the worst is over actually because, I mean, I wouldn't be able to even look at a screen, so... Oh, my neck is not as stiff right now as it was before, so... Just on this side. It's always the right side that is really fucked up for me. Because that's where all my injuries, injuries happen. Over the years. And I actually, when I push my... You know, when you pull your arms in the back to... You know, get your hands to touch each other. Because of my right arm, I cannot do it because it just doesn't. Like, it's really badly, badly affected. It's horrible. So I still do it, but I know you can use a towel as well. I just don't want to force it because every time I do stuff with it, it just gets so inflamed. And it's not out of place or anything, it's just... My left shoulder drops sometimes too. I think they compensate. 
I have so many problems with my back, like injuries and stuff, old injuries. That's why it's harder to work out and move around because you're in so much pain sometimes. But I love it and I feel better when I do so. I meditate or I watch someone who does it when I can't do it myself because that really helps. If you're visualizing things and you watch people doing it as you visualize. Or you can, you know. I just find it's easier when I do it in that way. I'm stretching. Come on, stretch. This is the relaxing time, okay? We don't just read books in a goofy way. You know, and all that. We also do this to relax. And... To stretch. And put your arms up in the air. Like when I do that, it's insane. It's before I can even say, Ta! I'm already rigid. Because when I do this movement, it's how I injure my, my shoulder and the pain I felt. Oh my god, it was so intense, like I had instant tears, it was so bad, it was so bad, the only solace I took was that I won the set, <laughs> it was the only good thing about it, it was like, I would have rather lost the set, I've been in pain for years after, it was so fucking painful, not my thing man, and to this day, so... I'm gonna work out, but I'm gonna do it without inflaming that part too much. And I'm gonna work out in my head before, so that when I do get to the point of actual working out, I don't have that automatic reaction, because in reality, there shouldn't be anything wrong physically. All that is my reaction to it, emotionally. So, obviously, I have to move out some of the guck from there, still. I have lots of work to do still. <laughs> Which is fun. If I didn't, it would be so boring being here. Seriously. Especially today, I need to stay relaxed and I always get too inflamed with uh, these topics. <laughs> I've always felt like, come on people!
That is relaxing for me. Really. I go in a trance, in a very good trance. Like, it's so nice. And then I tap, like... Sometimes, I'm silent on your side. And I do it on my side with the muted mics because <laughs> the tapping just relax. It's insane when I hear continuous relaxing tapping. I used to watch Pikafu for that. can be very soothing when she does the tapping. She's really good with it. There are some other people who are doing also really nice. Um, I forget their names. I was trying to remember. But relaxed will tell me when he comes around. You'll share that. There you go. Now, because we gotta also relax sometimes, it can just always be, you know, so we can absorb this. For those of you who have never read the book, what do you think is gonna happen? Come on. <laughs> what do you think is gonna happen? By the way, the next book I'm gonna read is uh, The Art of War, okay? I think you need, a lot of people need to. <laughs> if a lot of people haven't read that book, we're gonna read it. It's gonna be fun. I have two versions of it. And by the way, all these books that I have on the Kindle, I bought all those years that I was working. And ever since the Kindle came out. And then I would find them always on deals and stuff. So I didn't spend always a lot of money. And on Kindle is way cheaper. And I just never got around to read some of them because I have an insane amount of books in the Kindle. And I, you know, I always was working so much that I didn't have a lot of time. So I would read, but I would always read stuff more for work. So it was EFT, Reiki, you know, that kind of stuff. It had to be a healing component to that, not just pure pleasure like right now. It's not really just pure pleasure in a way because it's very um, fit for the times and what they're trying to do right now. But it's definitely more just a pleasure book than, you know, <laughs> for work. <laughs> I work, I like my, the healing stuff and all that. Don't get me wrong, it's just, you know, it's much different, right, as far as... The attention, even, I don't know. Like, this stuff is really... Because it's really easy to read, I, I find. Like, yeah, sometimes he has these words that... Today, you don't really see that much, but back then they were more common, obviously. So, sometimes has someone who wasn't born, you know, speaking English, 
I, I have those moments, and when I'm sick, I revert back to Italian more. I find it's very common, apparently. So that's also why I'm very happy, because on days like this, once upon a time, I could have never even conceived, first of all, not being puking in bed or lying down shivering. I would have never been able to even look at the screen the way I am right now. And I would have never been able to survive without taking pills because of the amount of pain I had. So I have gone a long way. I am the proof that this shit is like works and it's really, yeah, um, I'm sure some people can go faster, but frankly, if you work by yourself, mostly on yourself and you have such issues, it's actually not easy to get out of them. Even for some people uh, who get help sometimes, it's very hard. So why would anyone think that it would take me less than someone who does it professionally? You know, it's absurd. And I'm dealing with my own shit, so it's double hard because you have to find ways to work with your inner child and, you know, still be able to see what goes on when you're triggered. And that's where I started using technology, right? Where when you stream even it's great because even if you um, get triggered and you don't show it to others you will see it in yourself and it's really interesting like when you work on problems as you tap you can tell like how the face actually changes and you don't have to stream obviously you can do it to yourself right for yourself and that's the beauty of it like we have all this technology that in reality yeah a lot of people you know, want to only see the shit in it, but in reality, you can use it for good, it's not only just crap. It's not ideal, maybe, to be in front of it all the time. No, it wouldn't be my first choice, and it's not really. I enjoy immensely now going out with the dog, but I always have to go in the evening, and in the evening I still meet the idiots who wear the face diapers and so forth. So it's not like, you know, but at least I can turn the other way, right? It's not as bad. Yeah, it's not the same as being able to just go whenever you want and stuff, but it is what it is, right? It's still better than nothing. I always try and see the good, otherwise what, you know, you're just gonna always be depressed, right? And I'm not really, I'm not really that kind of person, that's the thing. I can become very depressed when I'm around people who are very depressed all the time, because then, you know, we go in coherence with them. But um, I try and avoid it, and I'm very guarded, you know, when I'm around people like that now. Because I just don't really want to fall back into those old habits of when I was a kid, basically, that I learned from the people around me. And they had no choice, I mean, in many ways, they were trapped, you know? So, maybe we are the ones who have to untrap the whole thing for everybody. Nobody wants to be unhappy. And nobody really wants to hurt someone else. I mean, no normal human being. Like, I made my friend laugh because I sent her <laughs> on YouTube. There are some people only are on YouTube, so I go there for them. And uh, sometimes they send you, you know, if you look at something, then they send you more people like that. And I watched this because the title was so funny. It was like from six years ago, so pretty old stuff. And he was like, narcissistic people are not human beings. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. 
because it was like it was like hearing me you know like this dude he's a professor he's like a phd in clinical psychology whatever you want and he was explaining that basically you know they're not human beings because they don't have that part that makes you a human being they don't have the empathy they don't have <laughs> and then at the end he goes no i mean they are they they are human beings but they are not in that sense so he he wanted to to make sure you knew that he's not like you know other people who talk about lizards <laughs> oh, it was hilarious my friend was laughing her butt off because some people have to freaking deal with narcissistic losers all the time because they have children with them and it's that's what it becomes really hard right Again, I just always use humor throughout anything that is hard and unpleasant. I've always done it my whole life. Well, the other mode I can be in is I'll destroy you. So <laughs> I think the humor is much better. If people keep pushing and if people, if I see people hurting others, that's what really gets me in that mode more than anything else. Um, and that's it, right? So if I use humor, it means I'm actually dealing with it. If I go into the other mood, run. It's a tsunami, man. You cannot stop it. <laughs> you just run. Run and come back when it's done. Because when people behave in certain ways, it's like, it's just... For me, there's only one way to stop them. You have to stop them. And you don't need to be like them, right? You just stop them, though. And many times, they don't... They, the weapons they use, they don't know how to protect themselves from the same emotional you know weapons they use on people it's not real weapons i'm talking about obviously I'm talking about emotional weapons and so when you turn them around against them they are shocked and in that moment you can literally stop them you don't have to hurt people you don't have to go beyond you just push back what they sent you you just say no i don't accept this and that's it you neutralize them very easily and when i go in that mode the thing i don't like is that i'm very brutal because I grew up around people like that and I learned it very young, you know, that uh, in front of certain people, the only thing that truly works on them is for you to just give it right back to them and say, no, I don't want any of this, it's all yours, but here. So they are stopped, you know. If you go and you start fighting with them, you never win because they are, you know, they're mental and you're not. So you're never gonna think up as much mental shit as they do because they're literally insane, you know, and they enjoy it. They, oh, I won, I won. <laughs> so I just avoid it altogether. I'm like, I'm just, if I really have to be in those situations, I make them end really quickly. And um, I'm not usually the one who cries because I don't look for problems. But when people keep on, you know, doing stupid shit, then... <laughs> That's why my friends, they all tell me at some point, oh, nobody wants to fight with you. Nobody wants to have it out with you because, you know. Because it was never about stupid shit. It was always about people trying to backstab someone else and bad mouth and all that shit. And they would do it around me. Sometimes they would try and, and gossip with me. And I would look at them and I don't do gossip. You got the wrong girl. Why are you gossiping? Like, are you a fucking Nimra? <laughs> like, how stupid do you need to be, you know? 
it's it's not gossip when you're talking about something that is your life and you're affecting you that's not gossip it's gossip when you talk about third parties who are not even present often so it's completely behind their back and it's malicious it's not the same thing as you talking with a friend about something because you're trying to resolve a problem that's a whole different story and people tend to confuse the two and it's funny you know how it all goes me i'm a straight shooter just don't fuck around with me because i'll get you if you if you try and constantly be an asshole i'm just gonna i'm gonna end it there and you're never gonna be around me again if i can help it because people like that are to me they have every right to be what they are until you hurt someone else and all they want to do is hurt other people because that's how they feel better they're that damaged so i know how i am around that and that's why i avoid it i don't want to be that person because as much as um i leave them with some kind of good seed in the same time i don't enjoy being in those situations i don't enjoy people like that they're toxic and i don't want to be around toxic people and have to give them back their toxic shit because like it or not you are around it and you will absorb some of it like it or not anyone it's still not good you know compared to being around good energy all the time and that that damn right i'm gonna try and do that and i don't fucking care if people think you're a dreamer i'd rather be a dreamer and dream about nice stuff than be resigned that oh well it's how it is fuck that it's how it is my ass if you wanted to change make it god damn it i've always been like that you don't fucking sit on your ass and whine do it you know <laughs> Fucking eh. You know, they told me I could never get rid of psoriasis and migraines, but they were wrong. They were fucking wrong. I went the, the right route, and I'm doing it correctly, and even though I'm not perfect, even though I'm sure I could do it better if I wasn't this person right now, but I am this person right now. I'm doing the best I can. Screw you. And if you don't like it, hey, give me a Bitcoin when it's at 75 grand each. I trust me, for me, it'll make a huge difference in my life. You know, a little bit of money, oh my god, what a difference it makes. I would invest a bunch right now, though, <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> I wouldn't buy a 7-Eleven, though, myself. Or any of those, uh, you know, because they are all in the slavery system, pretty much. Because the people who run them make nothing in comparison, so. It just, uh, franchises are all kind of like that also I looked into it because uh, I was trying to convince my dad to franchise our place because I could only see that way to grow it but in order to franchise and stuff I mean the best way especially restaurants is to actually own the property that's how you know they make real money so anyway it's still possible. I think if you, if I had a team with people who were really good at certain things that I suck at, I am sure we could put together something really good. I mean, but um, it's just hard to find people you can really trust. That's my also my direct experience with what I've seen in the real world. You know, there's lots of assholes who play the part of your friend really well, and then, I mean, I always get that feeling, and I always sort of know. So they never really fool me like that, but they fool my dad, and, you know, 
My mom, no, she was more like me. But, you know, other people fooled her and then we're just as bad for what happened in our family. It's just easy to get fooled, you know, when you have trauma or resolved trauma and you are not very honest to yourself because you feel you have to save face. That's the one thing that usually makes people not admit their mistakes is because they feel they need to save face. Guys, that's all the cult, by the way. You know, feeling ashamed because you made mistakes and all that. I think the only real shame if someone should feel shame, which is not something I think people should feel, unless it's, you know, you feel shame and then you, you start behaving better, then it's like that hurt that at least brought you over to grow. Shame by itself, it's just a useless feeling that keeps you in the same state and doesn't allow you to move forward. And a lot of people use it to, you know, belittle others. So that's why when I see that they do that, I go and do it to them and I'm brutal about it. And then they, oh, you're such a cunt. It's like, no more than you are. <laughs> you don't like it? Then don't fucking do it to other people, piece of shit. You know, who the fuck are you? Like all these idiots go, oh, you're blue-pilled. You know, it's like, hey, I would have enjoyed much more if the blue pill was the smart pill. Can I say that? The red pill, I don't like that much. But whatever, that's just my preference. Um, but number two, seriously, you think you're red-pilled when you go around treating others like shit and telling them they're ignorant and blah 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 when they come and try and look for information and a solution and you give it to them, making them feel, you, you explain things to them like, you know, if they were inferior to you. And you make them beg me for your help because you know you're such an important person. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> you ain't red-pilled. You're just a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> you're in your piece of shit time now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you were red-pilled, you would actually know better, and you know that when you break truth to them, you also have to give them tools to deal with that truth because no matter who you are, you will have some form of you know, disconnection <laughs> to what's just being revealed to you and what you've learned so far. It's like, ah, it's going to trigger you. And that's why people, they, they have that, you know, reaction and they get angry, they refuse it, or they feel really, oh my God, they're in shock. And then they try and excuse it or whatever. And it's because they have that, you know, break in their consciousness right so one part is stuck in the old and one part or maybe more than one part two parts but when you tap and when you do those kind of things right you help them to actually find their center again and uh, a lot of people instead just release the truth and they never give them anything to work with you know to help them to soothe them and to make the process easier it's almost like they enjoy making them suffer and being, you know, in that situation. And I really don't understand why, because especially if you have been through it yourself, why would you want to do it to someone else? I mean, you're a psycho, if you want. It means you're still hurt. And you're an asshole as well, because I've been hurt. I don't enjoy going around doing to others, you know, what has been done to me. I'll push it back if someone tries to hurt me, I'll just stop them, that person, and I'll tell that person off. But I'm directing it toward the correct person, 
I wouldn't go out. Oh, yeah. If I can't have it, nobody can. <laughs> I have to do that. Come on, it's totally insane, right? It is to me, anyway. But whatever, whatever, whatever. To each their own. Just remember, the more you fight with each other, the more you're helping the cult. So, maybe next time... When you meet someone, show them EFT techniques, for example. Show them stuff that can help them. And, um, you know, and if you see them really stuck, just agree with them. Say, oh yeah, you're totally right. And exaggerate what they're saying. It's a really good way to help people who are stuck in their way. Don't try and go against them. Just say, oh, you know, you know what? You are totally right, man. <laughs> as you tap <laughs> physically tap in front of them because when we show the tapping it has a much more effect than when you just talk about it or when you do it mentally because they see you monkey see monkey do and it creates that neural bundle in their head much faster hence I have always you know the old lady there tapping <laughs> don't worry I'll, I'll make the old lady's costume soon i'll knit them of course because that's what i do <laughs> no not knitting sorry crochet i like knitting too i really love knitting it just tires my shoulders so much my right shoulder gets so inflamed like i, I still have to send a, i have to ask my roommate to send a scarf to our friend but when I made that long ass car for our friend, oh my god, the amount of shoulder pain I got, the fuck. I had to stop for two years or so to actually do it because I was in so, I was cleaning too much, I was working too much. And that's also why, because I was constantly, you know, using and so, I, were, I was very strong and... That's the thing, it makes you very fit because cleaning is pretty hard work. And uh, if you do it right, that is. Depends also who you clean for. <laughs> it's funny how some houses, in the same amount of times, some houses I could do like a mansion in a very small amount of time, and those same amount of time in a way smaller house because it was so dingy in comparison, it would take way longer. It was, it was pretty funny actually. But it wasn't just, uh, it's also how they're built, right? Some of them are built well and so there's not a lot of dust and stuff inside a lot of older places have so much dust like it's insane and then the people are not very clean right they don't what people don't understand is that every day you should clean a little bit of something and the parts that are more used you should clean them pretty much all the time but when you do that it doesn't become it's not it doesn't take long and the stuff doesn't get ruined and it also you become much faster because you know again the neural bundle in your the more you do something the faster you'll become at it and the better you'll become and so it's not really a big deal anymore right like when it's your habit and that's the difference and then if you use something once you're done put it back don't leave it out there you know that's what makes the job of cleaning so much harder you have to like build that habit where you use something and put it back you do this, you put it back. 
you know, I have a problem with files, for example, because I forget. And sometimes I have to go in there and go, okay, time to organize this. And do 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 do, and I'll become better with it. We all have our glitches, right? It's just, the thing is, with tapping, you can work on them. And you can change it at your own pace, right? So that's why I really enjoy sharing it with people. Because it's free, it's easy to do, anybody can do it. You know, it's the great equalizer. You know, I'm so tired of these people trying to tell others that they're better and they're worth more. It's all fucking bullshit, people. I'm so sick of it. It's like enough of these fucking egocentrical assholes. And the only thing they really want is to not work hard and to get more than everybody else. And they try and justify it. There is no justification for that. And I hope more people realize it. So we can equalize things. Like, why in this world and age there are people who cannot read? Why? Why? You know? It's... There are those who have so much and then these don't have even the minimum. I met people like that from my country. And they were humiliated because they couldn't read. They had tears in their eyes. And, you know, because they were always watching TV. You know, I'm so tired watching TV. So I said, oh, don't, do you like reading? Would you like to, you know? I do that sometimes, so I don't. You know, now they have those big readers. They, you can, that's also why I like the Kindle. If you have eyesight problem, you can make it really big. You know, it's easier. And crying and all some of them. You know, why? Why does this happen? And that's what makes me mad. My inner child goes crazy with that stuff. <laughs> I just laugh because, you know, if I saw a child like that today, I would, I would so laugh. I would be like, oh my god, that's mini-me. <laughs> Sometimes you do meet those children who are very caring, very, you know, they're not like the other children. They're just very loving and caring and... They will kick your ass, <laughs> even if you don't expect it. My god, man. Too funny. So anyway, there you go. Now you should be nice and asleep. I hope you're not driving. <laughs> I'll stop this and then we'll do another one. <sighs>